Well, good morning, everyone. Wasn't that great? Jan, tell the truth. You were hiding, weren't you? <laughs> yeah. You saw them from the distance. <laughs> no, they found me. Do you know, Malta is special. The Apostle Paul was in Malta. He was shipwrecked there. And uh, it says in um, Acts 28 that once they had discovered that the island was called Malta, the local people showed them unusual kindness. Isn't that lovely? Something special about Malta. Anyway, we're not going to talk about that anymore. So uh, thank you for sharing, everyone. It just inspires us to just get out there. And actually, I just want to say, while um, Becca and Luana were sharing that they went into shops that they liked, um, you know, God uses that stuff. I remember once going out on the streets to do evangelism and I was terrified and I, I was saying, Lord, I'm really sorry. I can't do it. I'm not going to. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I was despondent. I was hiding behind the others, sending others forward and all that. And then I saw a lady uh, with a kitten in a box. And because I've got two cats, so I got talking to her about her kitten and then I got to pray for her. So God uses things. And I just thought, oh God, you are funny. You sent the woman with the kitten just to show me that he will equip us whenever we need. Anyway, back to our series. We've been going through a series looking at the Psalms of Ascent. Um, We're using Eugene Peterson's book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, as a springboard into how we should live as disciples in this society. And there are these 16 Psalms, Psalm 120 to 135, and they are the Psalms that the pilgrims sang, and uh, they were songs actually, that they would sing on their way to Jerusalem. And they're known as Ascent because Jerusalem is on a hill, and they would be singing these joyous songs, reminding themselves of what God had done for them, and reminding themselves of who God is. You know, in these Psalms, there would be declarations of God's attributes, his mercy, grace, provision, his protection, his salvation. And uh, Jesus would have also sung this on his way to Jerusalem as he was growing up as a Jewish boy. We know the story of when Jesus got left behind in Jerusalem. They had just finished visiting Jerusalem as part of a feast, a festival. They all went in a big crowd and uh, At some point, Mary, about three days later, realised that Jesus wasn't with them. I mean, what mother does that? I don't know. I would have been in such a panic. But um, she thought he was in the crowd and then they had to go back and they had to look for him. And they found him in the temple preaching and teaching. He was about his father's business. And they just didn't understand all that. But yeah, these incredible psalms. And today's psalm is about joy. And oh, don't we need it. Doesn't the world need joy right now? But I'm just going to say two things about that. As the world gets darker, Jesus shines brighter. This is our opportunity. We are the light of the world, Jesus said. We get to shine his light. And as it gets darker, let's become brighter and be talking to anyone, just like the guys did in Malta. Just grab those opportunities to share something of God's joy. And that's my other point. God's joy is something else. It isn't this temporary solution to the world's problems. You know, it's not a solution to climate issues and um, cost of living and all of that and hopelessness. It's this permanent, eternal state of being. 
God's joy is something else. So let's read the psalm. Now, I've got it in two versions. I'm going to confess that I am, my go-to version is um, the NIV. And when it became popular to read the message about 20 years ago, the message is actually 30 years old. It was published in 1993, but about 20 years old, everybody had a copy of the message and we'd all be reading from the message and, and it would be like, oh, wow. And I would read it and then I'd think, I don't think I've understood that. Let me go and read it in the real Bible. I always found the message a little bit tricky because it wasn't, my brain couldn't cope with it. But actually I have to say, I've come to appreciate the passion and the emotion that the message draws out of scripture. Because sometimes we read the Bible with a real deadpan voice, you know, and then the Lord, you know, and it's, it's got to be far more amazing than that. So I'm going to read it first in the NIV because it's only six verses long and then we'll read it in the message. So, oh, nice big fonts for those of you who can't read. Okay. <laughs> When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. And now in the message. It seemed like a dream, too good to be true, when God returned Zion's exiles. We laughed, we sang, we couldn't believe our good fortune. We were the talk of the nations. God was wonderful to them. God was wonderful to us. We are one happy people. And now, God, do it again. Bring rains to our drought-stricken lives. So those who planted their crops in despair will shout yes at the harvest. So those who went off with heavy hearts will come home laughing with armloads of blessing. Amen. So I've got three points about joy. My first point, joy is a gift. You can't command it. You can't purchase it. You can't arrange it. You can't wake up and say, I'm going to be joyful today. Oh, that's it. From now on, I will be a joyful person. No, can't do that. It's supernatural. And I love how in the psalm it says it's like a dream. Have you ever wanted something so badly you dream it at night? Well, you know, when I was young, I used to dream that when I was learning to drive, I used to dream that I was driving. Oh, I was really good. It was really easy. And then I'd wake up and, oh my goodness, back to square one. It was terrible. I couldn't drive. <laughs> I used to dream I could play the guitar. I was amazing. I was really good. <laughs> but then, of course, I'd wake up and I, I could only play three chords and it wasn't amazing. <laughs> Sometimes it's actually sad. I used to dream that I was pregnant and I'd had a baby. And the truth is we couldn't have children. And I would dream that. So sometimes that dream is your heart's desire. 
But God had a different plan because God will work all that out. So I do want to encourage you, if you have a yearning or a longing that just doesn't go away, just let God work it out his way because his way is far better. God gave us two beautiful daughters in a different way. And I'm so glad we got those two. I'm so glad I didn't get pregnant because we got those two. Yeah, Mimi and Lexi. Fortunately, they're in kids right now, so they're not embarrassed. But they know I'm always going on about it. So they're not, <laughs> they're not too embarrassed. But yeah, like a dream. You can't choose it. It's a gift. You can't choose it. There's this cafe in Mill Hill, on Mill Hill Broadway. It's called Joyce. It's lovely. Have you ever been there, anyone? Joy. Oh, it's nice. Very pricey. It's a treat. <laughs> but they've got this lovely light-up sign near the toilets that says, Choose Joy. And in a worldly context, that's a great slogan, isn't it? Choose joy. Don't be miserable. <laughs> Don't be grumpy. Choose joy. But the truth is, sometimes you just can't. You really can't. You can choose to be happy, but it's momentary. It is not going to last. Joy is nothing the world offers, and it can't be found in worldly pleasures. Worldly pleasures, they make us happy for a time. Of course they do. And lo there's lots of wonderful stuff out there, but it is all temporary. Joy is something that God gives. And you know, it is the second fruit of the spirit. In Galatians 5.22, it says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Do you know I've worked out that the first three, love, joy, and peace, they are the things God gives us so that we can then do the patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness to others. And the final one is the self-control, which we need to love ourselves. Do you agree? Only me then. So the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the gift of joy and it only manifests when he is dwelling in us. It really is a gift from God. If we look for it in the world, we will always be striving. I love the story of Brother Lawrence. Who's heard of Brother Lawrence? It's a few of you, yeah. He's this 17th century French monk who lived his life in the conscious awareness of God's presence. He did everything from the very mundane, he was put in the kitchen, that was his job, to the very spiritual stuff. He did it all aware of God's presence. And he struggled, he actually called this a struggle to be sad, to be depressed, uh, to be distressed, because he was so aware of God's presence. And he had this moment of revelation when one day he saw the barren, a barren tree in winter. This tree had no leaves on it, no fruit, but he knew, he just knew with all certainty that that tree would blossom once again. And he just knew something of God's provision in that moment and that changed his life forever. Now he was placed in the kitchen and he wasn't very good. Apparently, he'd, he must have broken so many things and dropped so many things and been a disaster. But everything brought him joy because he did it for the love of God, this great love he had for God. Such an encouragement to us. 
In God's presence, it says in Psalm 16, there is fullness of joy. I don't know what that joy is like, fullness of joy, but it sounds amazing. And isn't that something that we desire? Fullness of joy. It's supernatural. Joy is like a root. It produces fruit. It produces happiness. Happiness is just the fruit of what is a root. Without the root, there's nothing. My second point, joy triumphs over sorrow. So the psalm is about being set free from captivity. The pilgrims, as they're singing, they're remembering what God has done for them. It says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, they are the, Zion, the Zionists and God has restored their fortunes. They were singing and laughing. And basically God's people were remembering how they had been promised great things. They had been promised that they would be a light to the nations, a light to the world. But instead they were often slaves, oppressed by other nations. They were exiled from their homeland. And even when Jesus came, they were under Roman rule. And all of that would have come with horrendous stuff, rape, pillaging, and they would be marched across deserts into captivity. And it's believed that this particular Psalm was written while when they returned from their exile where Jerusalem had been destroyed, the temple had been destroyed and the temple represented God's presence. So they had lost everything as God's people. But all of this, this captivity, this bondage, this prison, all it does, it represents symbolic of sin because sin is our prison, isn't it? If we are caught and trapped by sin, we will be forever feeling guilty, feeling shame. Shame is toxic. We will forever be living with the consequences of our actions, consequences of sin. We're trapped. And so when we fully understand what being set free means, that's when we realise that our circumstances our sorrow does not dictate our joy. We have been set free from sin, haven't we? Jesus has done that. So when we fully understand what Jesus has accomplished, we're not going to let that rob us of our joy. Amen. So despite whatever storm and difficulty we're facing, when we think of what Jesus has given us, you know, the bigger picture Eternity, when we've got eternity on our mind, we're not going to let the day-to-day -day stuff rob us of our joy. Eugene Peterson puts it like this, Christian joy is not an escape from sorrow. Pain and hardship still come, but they are unable to drive out the happiness of the redeemed. Redeemed, I love that word, it's this old word. It talks about gaining or regaining a possession at a cost. And Jesus paid the price, didn't he? He's paid the price. He's done the deal. And we are now his people again. We are reconciled back to God. And this is also what makes us stand out. 
In the psalm where it says, the nation said, look what God has done for them. And where we recognise, look what God has done for us. It's that way we stand out to the rest of the world, that despite whatever's going on, because stuff will happen. The Bible says, when trials come, count it as joy. Despite all of that, we're joyful. How many of you know miserable Christians? Anybody? Oh yeah, okay, a few hands. They know miserable Christians, yeah. I've known a few, but I just want to say something. They're not miserable because they're Christian. There used to be this thing about if you're a Christian, you're miserable, you're boring, right? That's a lie. That is a lie that the enemy has planted so that we, people don't find joy. We don't find joy in what we, in, in, in our walk with God. There are people who are Christians and struggling because that's, that's life. There is still a brokenness to our life, isn't there? But if they're sad, it's usually because of something else. It's not because they're a Christian. Hmm. You know, we will struggle in life. Unemployment, our kids will give us much to worry about. <laughs> and there will be difficulties. There's anxiety, depression that grips, grips us. And sometimes you can't, you just can't see beyond. But this is where, back in the Psalm, it talks about, God, do it again. It says, bring rain to our drought-stricken lives. That's the message. In the NIV, it says, restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. The Negev is, the, is a desert in Israel. And it says, like, like streams, like bring life. And then at the end of the psalm, it says, those who planted their crops in despair will shout yes at the harvest. Those who went off with heavy hearts will come home laughing. Whatever you're going through, this is an encouragement to keep sowing, keep planting, because you will be fruitful. It is a promise. Whatever is happening, those who go out weeping in the NIV, carrying seed to sow, despite your pain, you're still serving God, honouring him, representing him. Isn't that lovely? You will come back with songs of joy, carrying sheaves. That's the fruit of the harvest. Keep going, whatever is happening. All things work out for those who love him. I've known Christians that have gone through horrendous stuff in their life. And yet there's something about them, their joy, their joy is still there. And I've known also people that have gone through nonsense in life, little things, and they're blaming God and they're giving it all that and he doesn't love me and he's not, if he was, if he was really kind and all of that, their joy has been rocked. My third point, joy is rooted in Jesus' work on the cross. That's where it's rooted. This psalm is about redemption. And when I said that joy is like a root, 
We, in our own strength, we can't, we, we don't produce anything. We don't produce roots. Our root is Jesus. This is how Jesus tells us to, to live. In John 15, he says, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. And this brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. If we remain in him, our joy will overflow. In some versions, it says our joy will be complete. You know, Jesus's first miracle was turning water into wine and wine is symbolic of joy. And he told the servants to fill the jars to the brim. Let's not dilute this with anything else. Let's not be relying on the world, a bit of this, a bit of that, a bit of Jesus, a bit of Bible, a bit of Netflix, <laughs> a bit of self-help. No, full to the brim with, with his joy. That's what we need. So what is this joy exactly? Talk about joy, it's a happiness. Yes, of course it is. It's a good feeling for sure. Hebrews 12, 2 says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus was able to endure the ultimate torture and humiliation. You know, the cross was not just an execution method. Roman citizens were rarely crucified. It was far too humiliating for a Roman citizen. It was saved for foreigners and slaves and uh, Jesus was tortured and humiliated. But it was worth it to him because he could see ahead of him the goal. And the ultimate goal was this reconciliation of God's people to God himself. He could see this time when God would rule and reign. And Hebrews 12 follows on from Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 talks about a, a, a number of witnesses who lived by faith. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, and, and so on, and all the prophets. And they lived by faith because they could see ahead of them a time was coming. Salvation was coming. Redemption was coming. And God would be supreme sovereign. That was the joy set before Jesus, a time where he would rule and reign. He rules and reigns now 
And the time is coming when he will complete his work. So this psalm teaches us to look back. Let's remember what God has done for us, plucked us out of our sinful state. It also teaches us to look now. What is he doing now, you know, in our lives? Look the way he's changing us, the way he's giving us hope and a future. And also we look to what he's doing in the future. But I also want us to be reminded of something in Luke 10. In Luke 10, there's this wonderful account of where Jesus sends out the 72. He sends them out to, in all authority to go and do wonderful works in his name. And they come back rejoicing. Um, it actually says, um, when the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Yes, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Yeah, we have authority over Satan, over the demons. <laughs> Look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. But, and this is the one I love, but don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. That's not where your joy is. Your joy is not in your ministry or in your work. That does, of course, that brings great happiness and reward. That's not where our joy is. It says here, rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. Our names are secure in the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb is representative of Jesus who was killed for us. And we are saved because of that. That's where our joy is. Joy is in what Jesus has done, which has secured our future beyond anything the world gives us. In Philippians 4, we are commanded to rejoice. Paul, who was in prison, and tell, let me tell you, I actually go into prison every week, Duncan knows, and it's a horrible place. I'm not going to deny it. Those cells are tiny. It's a dark place. Don't ever end up in there. But it's nothing like prison in Paul's day, where they were chained. They were in pitch black darkness. It was just horrendous. But Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, this is a peace that goes beyond anything the world gives, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? I wrote a definition for joy. It's a work in progress, so it's a bit of a waffle. Joy is a good feeling. I use the word good just like God did when he said Creation was good, yeah? It's not, I'm not using it lightly. It's a good feeling in my soul. Given to me by the Holy Spirit when I choose to live rooted in Jesus. It is not the result of anything I have done or anything the world offers. It is the consequence of the choice I have made to live by faith in God's promises, which assure me that I need not strive for my salvation. He's done it all. My future is secure because of Jesus' death 
and resurrection. So in summary, joy is a gift. We can't manufacture it. Joy triumphs over sorrow. Whatever you're going through, don't let your joy be rocked because your joy is rooted in Jesus's work on the cross. I just want to pray for us all now. I want to pray for um, just a fresh revelation of what Jesus has done. I don't think we can ever really appreciate his death and resurrection. We just can't appreciate it enough, can we? I want to pray for the Holy Spirit to fill us to the brim. So if there is even a tiny bit of space in us for other things, the Holy Spirit come once again, fill us again. I want to pray that our lives will be rooted in Christ and in him alone, daily, daily feeding from the root. And I want to pray that we won't let the cares of this world snatch us from our joy. I'll ask the band to come back as we're praying. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus and for what he has done for us. We thank you that your plan was always to reconcile us back to you because of your deep love for us. Reveal once again just how powerful and how wonderful Jesus' death and resurrection is. That in his torture and in his shame and humiliation, we live. We are alive forever because of that. Holy Spirit, come and fill us once again. And if there is even the tiniest thing in us that doesn't belong, that is not from you, remove it now. Fill us, Holy Spirit, with more of you, more of you, that our joy may be complete and it may be full. I pray that our lives will be rooted in you, Lord Jesus, and only you, that daily we feed and we drink from you and we live our lives based on what you are how you are guiding us and how, what you're showing us and that our eyes are fixed on you. May we be a bit like Brother Lawrence with a very strong awareness of your presence all the time. I also pray that the cares of this world that we acknowledge and we recognize will not snatch the joy from us. I want to pray especially for my brothers and sisters here who, who do suffer with anxiety and depression. That in the middle of their anxiety and depression, they know that their joy is secure because it's, it's rooted in what you have done, Lord Jesus. And our future is in you. It's not in the darkness, in the, in the, in the pit, in the dark well that we find ourselves in but it's completely and solely in you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.